This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, thank you very much, Richard Duggan. And uh, hello, Claudette. Hi, Linda. What's going on in there? You're obscured from my view. What's happening? Well, oh, there you are. You hello, peekaboo. Mid- midlife is happening. I'm finding that I'm, I'm moving the screens closer and closer oh. to my face. Listen. <laughs> You don't have to talk to me about that. And then again, <laughs> I mentioned stuff like that to my mother, and she says, middle age, you're past that. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Thanks, yeah. Mom. Yeah, it's, uh, there's days when your arm isn't long enough. Do you find that? So true. Well, on the phone? In bed. <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, I said, you know, I've noticed a dramatic change in my eyesight in recent days so I have a little appointment book to just to get them checked and that sort of thing see if my prescription needs to be up and uh, Job's comforter a good <laughs> friend of mine who happens to work in the newsroom said sure you know what that is I said what cataracts I'm like okay <laughs> all right you could go on now. Yeah, please. Uh, not that there's anything that. wrong with cataracts. Don't get me wrong. But it's all those little reminders. I'm pretty sure I don't have cataracts. But anyway, uh, it's all those little reminders. <laughs> You're getting older. You're getting up are. there. You're yep. starting to creep along. <laughs> and time, time is... Just a blink. <sighs> nothing. Just a blink. Yeah, nothing anymore. It's constantly, and of course, in this business, you get those constant reminders, don't you? Know it's been twenty-five years since this, and it's been fifteen years since that. And you're like, it's not. Uh, uh. I know. Okay, I can't get my head wrapped around things like that. It's yeah, just like my my parents are going to be married fifty years next week, like fifty. Yeah, I just can't believe it. Yeah, but time is just yeah, it's just a, a blink of an eye, and it changes. Anywho, <laughs> so um, this happens to be a long weekend. Mm-hmm. It's hard to call it a long holiday weekend, if you know what I'm because saying. Because it's so charged with emotion. Isn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Isn't it just? And uh, it's uh, set aside as a time for us all to think about um, the impact of the residential school system. And for the most part... Uh, government sort of, if you will, gave this whole concept of residential schools to the various churches because churches were, for many years, both here in Newfoundland and Labrador and on the mainland, um, involved in delivering education. So uh, when you talk about Canada and how uh, the population is spread over huge areas of land and how a lot of our indigenous communities are spread throughout very remote regions. This whole idea of a residential school system came into play whereby they would remove children from their community and put them in a school. And uh, as we've seen in some areas, um, in some cases, parents never heard from their kids again. In other cases, uh, the kids came back as adults completely separated and, and severed, if you will, from, from their, culture. their culture, their language, their families, everything that they knew and loved. And now they're coming back changed, different, um, and in some cases, severely harmed. Um, so this is all of these things that we are... 
um, reflecting on at this particular time. And of course, uh, the federal government was down uh, and visited uh, Labrador, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, back in 2017 and visited the coast of Labrador and delivered on behalf of the Canadian government the an apology uh, to um, the survivors of residential schools and the residential school system in this area because of course this a lot of this not all of it some of it continued on after confederation but uh, a lot of it occurred before confederation with canada so when the federal government came down and offered that apology people were saying well we want to hear from newfoundland and labrador as well because they had a role to play in all of this. So there was a commitment made at that time, and the provincial government had agreed that it would deliver uh, a series of apologies to various groups that were directly affected and harmed by the residential school system. And of course, one of those apologies, the first of those apologies was delivered today, and it wasn't without its controversy, and we'll talk about that now in a moment. But on its surface, on behalf of the provincial government, the premier today delivered the first in a series of apologies to survivors of the province's residential school system. It was part of a ceremony at the Cartwright Community Centre this afternoon, complete with performances by the Sandwich Bay Residential School drummers uh, that is made up of survivors of the Lockwood School in Cartwright and their family members. Well, the apology was part of a process begun years ago, as I just mentioned, and um, begins the commitment made by former Premier Dwight Ball following a formal federal government apology delivered by Prime Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in 2017. Well, here are some of the sounds from that event this afternoon in Cartwright. And uh, just ahead of time, we want to apologize. The audio quality is not the best, but I'm, I'm fairly certain you'll be able to get um, the, um, the value from this. Sandwich Bay Residential School drum dancers and for all those that we represent. We thank you, Premier, for coming to our community to offer this much anticipated public apology to the residential school survivors of Sandwich Bay. To some, it may seem like a small gesture, but to others, it is a step forward towards reconciliation. And it's only through education and awareness that we can move forward. We have been silent way too long. Now we have shared our story. Our government has acknowledged the terrible injustices that took place in these residential schools. And we will continue to beat the Inuit drum as a sign of new hope for our people. Premier, we would like to invite you to come up so we can present this beautiful Inuit drum to you on behalf of your government as a token of our appreciation, but even more so as a reminder. A reminder of the pain that was inflicted on so many innocent children a reminder of the public acknowledgement by the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. And finally, a reminder of the dance of celebration and the dance of hope. This drum was designed and constructed and painted by our very own Todd Davis, a second generational survivor. And we would love to see this displayed somewhere in the House of Assembly, where everyone can see it and reflect. We have these two beautiful residential school survivors Violet Dyson and Megan Tumashi to present you from. 
So today, with a heavy heart, I respectfully and humbly offer an apology to the students of Unit 2 of it who attended residential schools in Newfoundland and Labrador. As Premier, and on behalf of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, I extend this apology to the students, their families, and to the people of Manitoba. We are sorry. And that is uh, some of the sounds from the uh, ceremony in Cartwright today, whereby the provincial government and Premier Andrew Fury, on behalf of the provincial government, delivered an apology to residential school survivors in Nunatuavut today. And uh, this um, decision to uh, do this apology today in Cartwright uh, has not met without uh, a certain level of controversy. And we've been talking about that uh, this week. Uh, it's not because the, the apology was delivered. Uh, there are lots of people in the area of Cartwright, as you just heard, and uh, surrounding area right from, um, you know, I'm afraid to mention communities because I'm afraid I'm going to leave anyone out, but um, Black Tickle and all around the South uh, east coast of Labrador. Uh, there were plenty of people there who were involved in the residential school system and uh, suffered as a result. So the question is not that the apology is being delivered there. Uh, the question that was raised uh, by Nunatsiavut uh, in particular was that uh, it was the decision was made to do it there first. Now the Premier's office has said and the Premier himself has said that this was simply the way that the uh, the, the timing all worked out, uh, that these um, uh, the ceremony was uh, put together first, I guess, if you will, and that uh, that's how it all played out, and that the, the provincial government is committed to delivering similar apologies to other Indigenous groups. But um, it has resulted in, in quite a uh, back and forth between the Nunatsia government, the ITK, which is the overriding, I suppose, global global Inuit organization, Pan-Arctic, if you will, uh, Inuit organization, um, both of whom uh, say quite categorically that they do not recognize uh, NCC and Nunatuavut as an um, Inuit organization. So there is lots to talk about there, and uh, I don't think anybody has suggested that this whole conversation surrounding truth and reconciliation was going to be easy or was going to be without a certain level of uh, pain and difficulty. Uh, so it's all part of that uh, overarching, I suppose, conversation. If you are interested in weighing in on that, you certainly can. Well, come on, coming up, in the spirit of truth and reconciliation, school sport, Newfoundland and Labrador has added 10 Indigenous events to its varsity program. I'll speak with uh, Executive Director Karen Richard right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we're back. Well, School Sport NL introducing a new varsity sport, honoring and celebrating Indigenous games. And I don't know about you, Claudette, but have you seen any of these Indigenous... I haven't. Uh, ...games or the the Northern games no. or the Labrador games? Oh, my goodness. 
the level of skill and athleticism needed in some of these events is just extraordinary. Um, like they'll have a, a little um, seal pendant like hanging from a great height and you're on one foot and you jump from one foot, kick that and land on that same foot. It is unbelievable. I can't imagine the practice. <laughs> if I had to try that, <laughs> I'd be in traction for months. Yes. Months. But uh, yeah, it's just extraordinary. That's just one of many, many. And, and Karen Richard is going to no doubt uh, tell us more about it. Um, the new foundation sport will be available to all uh, member schools province wide and will offer athletes the opportunity to compete in 10 unique Indigenous sports. Well, School Sports NL Executive Director Karen Richard joins me now. So listen, uh, I understand that uh, School Sport NL, in the uh, spirit of truth and reconciliation, is adding an exciting new program to the curriculum. Tell us what's going on. Yes, we are, and we're, uh, we're very excited about it. Um, we are starting a foundation sport, which is our entry level of sport in the varsity program for Indigenous Games. Uh, so we started this process last year in uh, meeting with uh, those in the Indigenous community and in the education uh, community and uh, had a, a team together to look at how we can incorporate um, more of the Indigenous sport and culture into our program. So um, we have uh, came up with a draft um, proposal for our program and uh, we've uh, kind of edited out through uh, the the, the uh, Indigenous schools and we're ready to roll uh, at this year, or this year at some point, to uh, have our first competition um, under our banner uh, for the Indigenous Games. So will this be available across the province or primarily in Labrador for the, to begin with, or how is that going to work? So with our foundations-level uh, sports, for any of our sports, um, first it's done on a regional level. And um, for this sport, we're going to target Labrador, uh, for our first event. Um, the goal is absolutely to have it right across the province um, because that way we're not only offering a sport to Indigenous communities, Indigenous students, but we're also um, hoping to be able to educate all of the students in the province about um, the Indigenous sport culture and, and, and games and sports and activities that were important to the Indigenous communities. So, uh, yeah, our, our ideal is absolutely to see it being offered in, uh, you know, right throughout the province and eventually, you know, hopefully within a couple of years have it as an official provincial-level sport so that we would be giving out, you know, provincial championship banners and, and championship medals. So for anyone who's not familiar, uh, I'm fascinated by the Northern Games. The, some of these um, sports are so highly athletic, uh, so uh, skilled. Um, it really is a wonder to watch. Um, tell us about some of these um, sports and categories. Yeah, and so there's a there's a lot of different uh, Northern Games um, that we did take a look at, um, you know, just in the interest in time and, and trying to fit things into a certain, uh, I guess, tournament format. We did have to whittle it down to which ones we felt were, were going to be the uh, the best ones to do, the, the ones that, you know, certainly had a... Um, the story behind them uh, of why they are important to the indigenous culture and would be easy enough to adopt for most of the schools. So uh, we did have uh, 
have narrowed down to 10 different activities within the northern, or sorry, the indigenous games um, that we've looked at. And some are for males, some are for females, some are group events, some are, you know, one-on-one competitions. Um, you know, we've got things like the, the seal crawl, the monkey dance, the owl hop. Um, you know, we've got the one-foot-high kick. A lot of these have been... Um, have been pretty uh, constant in the northern games within Labrador and in, in different areas. Um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen things like the, the one-foot-high kick and, like you said, the the athletic ability required is, is pretty phenomenal and the skill level. So we're just trying to put these in so that we can highlight, um, you know, the – I guess the more mainstream uh, games that people know in sports, like your volleyball and basketball, obviously take a lot of skill, but there's a lot of lesser-known ones within the indigenous communities that require just as much athleticism and skill, if not more so, um, than some of the games that you know you see a lot more on, on uh, mainstream media or uh, you know things like that. So that's what we're trying to highlight. Um, the other, I think, neat thing about the, the way this uh, this sport, I guess we've got it uh, drafted up, so we will be having team champions for for these events, so the overall team, um, and then we'll also be having individual champions for each of these separate events that are held. So it'll give uh, you know a, a student, if they're particularly strong in one event, uh, it'll give them an opportunity to... Uh, to test their skills that way or, uh, you know, as a member of a team, as, as just a collaborative um, and see if they can bring home the, the banner. So we will be having, uh, there is a, a smaller banner uh, that goes with the foundation sports and the full set of medals as well. So I suppose this is uh, a bit more philosophical, if you will, but how do you walk the line then between uh, spreading awareness about these um, uh, amazing sports and having more people participate in them and learning more about them uh, without, you know, uh, that whole notion of cultural um, appropriation? I think that's, you know, you're right, it is a fine line, um, but I think it's the education piece is what we're really trying to promote here. Um, you know, essentially school sports is an education-based organization. We're not about, you know, developing elite athletes, but we're about working within the school system to develop student athletes. And I think this is a great opportunity within our organization to do that so that, you know, at each of uh, our our vision, I guess, is um, at each of the events that we're not just going to go out and play a certain activity or, or you know, one of the one of the activities within the, the games, but we're going to, to have an education piece as well so that uh, we'll have some some of the Indigenous student-athletes there to to kind of um, let people know and, and what why this game is important and where it comes from in their culture. So it's uh, it's more of a showcase of the culture of the, uh, the Indigenous people rather than just, uh, you know, to see if who can be the best at, at uh, one particular skill. So it's. I, I think there is a fine line, but I think the, the combination between education and, uh, and, and just showcasing the skills, I think uh, it can be done in a very positive way. Karen Richard, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. So can you picture it in your mind's eye, that, that whole one-foot... High jump? I just... High kick? Know, 
I feel like it would take months and months and months of practice to be able to do something. Well, first of all, you need to be really young and light on your feet, I would imagine. (laughs) And you have to be in absolute peak form. Um, uh, the, The other one is the seal crawl. Have you seen them do no, that? No, I haven't. Uh, where they're literally on their knuckles, and they, they're keeping their... It's almost like doing a push-up, but without the actual up and down. It's like literally you're crawling along on your knuckles and your toes, and it's your knuckles and toes that are mo- keeping the momentum going. That is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It looks difficult, and I'm told that it is really difficult because you had to keep uh, you remember how everybody was doing planking yeah <laughs> a while I do, ago I do is that plank, core yeah. body thing it's tough your body shakes after so many seconds y- exactly yeah. so it's it's got that sort of core the strength thing Element, going on yep. and so much more and some of them are just plain fun some of them are just based on can you possibly do this let's see <laughs> right uh so anyway it's great they're going to be introducing that into the school curriculum and allowing uh students to participate and learn more about it for starters and secondly um you know sort of uh, spread this around a little bit so more and more uh, people get exposure to it so that's great i love that idea yeah it is it's a fabulous idea well when we come back uh, the fluvarium in the process of converting a portion of its building into a child care center not the whole thing don't worry you're still going to get to see the fishies uh, but uh, it's also going to be filling a very uh, serious need here in the St. John's metro area when we come back we'll hear more about that this is news talk on VOCM stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your VOCM and as you just heard uh, Richard Duggan um, mention, the Fluvarium is in the process of converting a portion of its building into a child care center to accommodate up to 55 children thanks to access to joint funding formally announced today. And of course, the Fluvarium is a, uh, a bit of a hot spot in uh, St. John's. It's a must visit for school children, oh, for decades now, isn't it, uh, Claudette? It's like one of most kids favorite place to go in here in st john's which is why i think it's so important and i'm so glad you guys put that in the news that it was a portion will be ch- will be changed to child care not the whole thing well indeed because yeah. i mean people are so used to going there and learning about that it's very important to learn about these. you know these natural processes mm-hmm. and uh, how important trout and salmon and other uh, fish and the like are uh, in our ecosystem especially now with this much greater awareness of um uh you know the the planet around us so to speak uh but uh, a big portion of it the upstairs portion is is being converted it's already in the process of uh, of uh, being changed the federal and provincial governments have announced seven and a half million dollars in funding to support infrastructure and renovations to regulated child care operations to increase the availability of child care by up to 750 spaces the funding will also be used to hire a project manager to oversee not-for-profit child care projects and increase wages for developmental workers. Well, Vice Chair of the Board at the Fluvarium, Charlie Byrne, spoke with reporters today, including VOCM's Richard Duggan. You know, I read a story a little while back in the New York Times a few weeks ago um, about a family in New York State, and they had really good incomes, and they were trying to find childcare in New York, and they couldn't find it, and they had to move all the way to Ohio to pay $50 a day. 
And that's five times the cost of what we're working towards here in Newfoundland and Labrador and across the country. And I think that's fantastic. And here at the Fluvarium, we are so proud and so happy that we'll be part of that. On behalf of the board and the staff, let me say that we're honored that our space will be a place for 55 families in the metro area for years to come that will offer affordable, quality, and very educational childcare in this city. Um, and to you know those folks watching at home, I know they're probably eager. When can I enroll my kid? Appreciate the enthusiasm, but we're not quite ready yet. Uh, keep an eye on our Facebook page or social media channels. We'll announce when we're ready to enroll children. And, uh, you know, we also, I'm sure, have people that probably have questions about what is going to happen to this space. Is this going to change? So I want to ensure our supporters, especially those in the education system, that the Interpretation Centre and our tanks downstairs, that'll all remain the same. None of this will change. It's just our event space upstairs, which we'll give everybody a peek at if they want to have a look, is going to be a childcare centre. So the programming that you know and love, that you know Bob and Tracy for, that'll still continue. Um, it'll just have some childcare spaces. And I just want to say one more thing before I finish. Uh, there was somebody who couldn't be here with us today. Our executive director, Chantel Butler, she's on a much-deserved vacation right now, but she has been the driving force of this project. She came to the board a couple years ago with this idea, um, you know, really championed it, did her due diligence, got all of her facts and ducks in a row, brought it to us, advocated for it. She's been working with the department. So, Chantel, I know you'll watch this later. And on behalf of the board and staff, and I think the 55 families and the many families over the years, let me say thank you for your efforts and the work that you've put into this. So that is uh, Charlie Byrne, who is with the Fluvarium. He's vice chair of the board there. And uh, Richard Duggan, you were there and you've seen the work that they've already carried out there. But I guess the big question that um, other than, you know, how do I sign up? How do I get my child into this uh, spot? Uh, because the need for child care spots is so uh, huge these days. But another question that people might have is, am I still going to be able to visit the Fluvarium? Yes, absolutely you can, Linda. So uh, just to emphasize again, this is this renovation is happening only on the top portion of uh, the Fluvarium, which was their event space formerly. So um, still like the, the main level where they had some of their uh, exhibits, that's where they held their news conference today. That's still there. Uh, the fish tanks, that's still there. So don't worry, everything that you love about the Fluvarium. You can still go. You can still visit. It's just this upstairs space that's being converted, and uh, well, I, the work is already uh, well underway. It was, when we were there, it was pretty much stripped down to the bare bones, um, and they're in the process now of putting up the walls and getting everything in place for a start, uh, hopefully uh, about midway through uh, 2024. But yeah, no, everything that... Uh, people like about the fluvarium that they want to go and visit with the fish and everything else that's still going to be there is that big mantle uh, as uh, featured in many countless uh, wedding pictures still there it is for now yes it is <laughs> very good <laughs> uh so i mean i guess you have to look at your wedding pictures and uh you know recall that fondly <laughs> absolutely <yeah. laughs> all right well richard duggan uh, really appreciate your time thank you thank you very much well the toronto blue jays enjoyed a decisive win over new york last night resulting in a countrywide sigh of relief but the nail biting isn't over yet they have another must win tonight and VOCM's Sarah Strickland joins me now from Toronto. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Linda. So they finally got a win under their belt. 
I think I was the good luck charm to turn that around. I think they got their uh, act together when I showed up. Well, I use the word belt advisedly because uh, Brandon Belt was a big part of that too. He was, and he's just coming back from an injury. So that's kind of the first big at-bat he's had since uh, returning to to the lineup and the whole place. Like, when I saw that, I was in outfield, and when I saw that ball come off his bat, everybody knew that that was gone. So what was it like being there last night? I mean, this is the the first, I suppose, really crucial win in a little while. They've had a, a bit of a losing streak as of late, but uh, this was a big, crucial win. Um, what was it like being in that atmosphere last night? It's so loud, and people are there from all over. I mean, I wasn't the only Newfoundlander there last night. Uh, Team Guju also in the crowd there last night. Uh, so they seem to be picking up a lot of support from across Canada, and, of course, I flew up here just to be a part of the postseason push. So they're really gaining a lot of uh, attraction there. And people are jumping on the bandwagon now because October's coming and everybody wants to be a part of the good times. But uh, yeah, everybody was quite relieved to see them get the win there last night after the last two games. So another important game now tonight. Uh, what do you, Sarah Strickland, who happened to be a very big baseball fan and a Blue Jays watcher, what would you expect out of tonight's game? Well, right now their focus is just win, baby, because if they just keep winning, then they're going to be in. But a win tonight and a loss from Seattle gets them into that wild card spot and into the postseason for sure. So... I think the Jays just need to focus on getting the win and not worrying about the out-of-town scoreboard. So just get those wins, and it's going to be packed there tonight because it is the final series of the weekend with Tampa Bay in town, and it's a giveaway night. So uh, last series of the weekend, it's going to be lots of people there. Ooh, a giveaway night. What are they giving away? Free hoodies. They're nice. They're like big, comfy, powder blue Jays hoodies. I hope I get one. <laughs> for sure. So um, where do you situate yourself now in Rogers Center? What is it like? Uh, it is insane. I got lost there a couple times. I've been there multiple times over the years, but it's completely different now. They've got everything done up different. I mean, even if you're not the baseball fan, like a baseball aficionado, there are places there for the occasional watcher to just, you know, have fun and play some games and you know, baseball's kind of on in the background. So uh, those renovations, super different stadium, beautiful place. Yeah, so I understand they're going to be realigning the seats so that instead of, I mean, my understanding is that anywhere you happen to sit in Rogers Centre is is a pretty good seat. But now, uh, depending where you are, you won't have to turn to watch the play. You'll be facing the play. Yeah, you can see pretty much I went up to the outfield. I was behind home plate. I was in the 500s, flight deck everywhere you had a really good view of what was happening and I was really shocked of the 500s it's a beautiful place to be there now like it used to be the cheap seats but it seems like people are actually leaning towards those spots now so I know you're a big George Springer fan uh, and I've seen <laughs> some of your uh, social media posts did you get a chance to see him or get anything signed by him I did not, but I'll tell you, Alejandro Kirk, I got a bit of a selfie with him. He wasn't uh, really into getting a picture, so he's kind of looking away, but he came up right close, and I got up there with my camera and got a selfie. But, 
No Springer sightings yet. I am sitting near right field tonight, so hoping to get a glimpse of Springer. And will you be bringing home a, a souvenir ball? I can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And I, I, I do like Alejandro Kirk, I got to say, so I, I would be pretty excited by all of that. Uh, anyway, Sarah, this is great. Uh, hopefully you are the good luck charm that they need now tonight. We'll be watching very closely. I watched for you in the stands last night. I didn't get a sight of you. I'm sure I would have seen you. Uh, I really appreciate <laughs> this, uh, Sarah. All the best. Uh, go Jays. Go Jays. Thanks, Linda. That's Sarah Strickland at uh, Rogers Center. She is easily the biggest baseball fan I think I've met. Well, her with. office is, was adorned as well with just about everything. It's a shrine it, to yes. Stringer. A shrine. <laughs> You're right. And she's such a resourceful person. You know, when you asked her if she's going to bring home something, if she can, she will. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. she'll be rubbing it on in all of our faces. Of course. <laughs> uh, because I'm a casual watcher of baseball. Uh-huh. I, I I do enjoy the game, and I have been following the Jays, and but I'm not into all of the stats and RBIs and, and all of them. that stuff. Like she the back of her hand, yeah, knows it intrinsically. She lives it. Brian Callahan, he's another one. Brian Medore, you can't have a conversation with Brian Medore, and he's, he starts to get into all of these nitty gritties and all of the the facts inside the facts. stuff yeah. that is like. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm with you. Actually, I'm not even up on that caliber yet. Did so. they win or did they lose? Yeah. You know, um, but uh, yeah, it was a big win last night. It was an exciting win because they, to be honest, last few games, it's it was uh, starting to feel very, very uh, not very Hopeless. promising. <laughs> um, uh, but um, um, the uh, manager made some changes yesterday and it seemed to work so uh or it maybe it's just sarah strickland being in the stands who knows <laughs> uh anyway uh, i'm sure a lot of people will be watching that game very closely tonight well coming up a father's a desperate plea this is news talk on vocm your voice in newfoundland and labrador's biggest conversation if you want to know what's happening in your province tune in to open line every day have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, a Newfoundland family is offering its heartfelt thanks to those who have contributed to make it possible for a young woman to undergo clinical trials in Montreal for her stage 4 tongue cancer. Chelsea Coombs was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue last year and learned that the cancer had spread to her lungs. She's undergoing clinical trials in Montreal and is responding well to the treatments, according to her father, Alan, but the family is on their own when it comes to medical care. He says the doctors tell them that Chelsea is responding well as she prepares for her second round of treatment. He calls it nothing short of a miracle. Because she's undergoing clinical trials, MCP does not pay the costs and the family has to pay out of pocket or use funds raised through a GoFundMe account. Well, I caught up with Alan Coombs this week. Well, hello, Alan. Hi, how are you? Good. So, how's Chelsea doing? Uh, we don't we got a got a report uh, yesterday, and she's done her first cycle of treatment, and we get a good report. Uh, the, the lesions on her lung, uh, some of them are the cancer is gone. They're just hollow lesions now, so it's working. And thanks to your listeners, Nick, it was very nice with the donations that helped us to be able to stay here. 
so she's doing well and she's starting her second cycle tomorrow. And again, now I guess that's going to be another six weeks for the second cycle. And she, she was a little bit tired after her, her treatment for a day. Uh, other than that, uh, the doctor said things are going well and we take it from here now for the second cycle. And it looks as if this, this drug is working with the chemo. The only thing is now uh, is us being able to afford to stay here now while she's getting it. And, uh, people were get, We did well with the GoFundMe when you and Patty were on. And we did well for a week or two and then just stopped there. Uh, so we're focusing on trying to be able to afford to stay now while she's getting her treatment again. We have our house for sale, hasn't sold yet, uh, but it's on the market. And we're hoping to get it sold so we can continue on with the clinical trials here. Uh, again, we get straightened up with our feeds after being on open line. Uh, still working on the syringes and that for getting the feed in. Um, and what else was it? Uh, oh, yeah, still no assistance from uh, Newfoundland government whatsoever. Uh, you're on your own. Uh, so... Basically, we're just relying on the GoFundMe and, you know, trying to get by ourselves and with the kindness of people, we've managed to get this far now. So. Now, I understand that you have uh, plans to visit the House of Assembly in October. Tell me what's going on there. Uh, my wife is going to be, when the House of Assembly opens, she's going to be there uh, protesting, uh, looking to see uh, if we can get some help from government. Uh, and she's inviting uh, anybody uh, that has a story to tell. They're welcome to join us uh, at the Confederation building while we're protesting. Uh, so I, I guess it's just there's a story to be told and we're trying to get it out there and trying to get government to step up and give us a hand. And it's not just us. There's other people go through the same thing, so... So that's about uh, the provincial government, I suppose, helping out families who are going through these uh, clinical trials on, I suppose, new or experimental drugs. Yes, that's right. You don't get no, nothing whatsoever. You don't. Well, most times they can't even return your call, so. <laughs> or you don't until you start pushing the envelope and then somebody might get in contact with you. They might. So uh, uh, you say that um, she's uh, re responding to these uh, drugs or this treatment. Um, how's she feeling overall? Uh, overall, uh, she she's she's doing she's doing good actually. I mean, uh, surprisingly enough, her mood is good. Her physically, she's good, but she do be tired for a couple of days after her her treatment. Uh, and as the doctor said. Uh, the nodules now, they're just like empty eggshells, uh, some of the bigger ones that were there. And the cancer is completely gone out of them to dry it up and the cancer cells and just, I guess, the, the shell itself would disintegrate now. So we're going to continue on with the trial because uh, it seems like everything is, that it's working out for her. So, yeah, I just. Nothing short of a, a miracle for us. It's good news. So. It was good news yesterday for us.
Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. If anyone is listening to this now and wants to uh, help contribute to the cause, how can they do so? We can go to VOCM site and uh, you guys have it set up there. They can go to the GoFundMe and just donate there and automatically go to the GoFundMe. And uh, uh, to tell people have been donating, uh, we Patty and you guys uh, range that it could be done that way for us, and we're really thankful to everybody because you, the public and your listeners are the ones who made it possible for us to stay here. Alan Coombs, all the best to you, Chelsea, and your family. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Linda, and you have a good day. And as Alan Coombs pointed out, his wife will be at Confederation Building when uh, the legislature reopens in mid-October to uh, protest the fact that uh, families who uh, do have a loved one who are who is undergoing clinical trials for cancer uh, treatment um, do not get the support uh, from MCP or the provincial government, and they want that to change because for a lot of people, uh, that is their one and only great hope is uh, getting involved in a clinical trial and when you're left to your own devices it almost takes it out of your hands can't get it done yeah my, my heart just, just <laughs> I, I just feel so sad when I heard him say just about having to sell his house mm -hmm. so yeah. his daughter can have a, a fighting chance yeah you know I I mean I get that everybody wants a piece of the pie but when it comes to cancer patients who need clinical trials i don't know i'd like to see more money thrown at that and indeed and clinical trials uh, it's promising vitally important very important for the progression of um you know finding cures or finding things that make their lives prolong you yeah. know it's it's vital i know people on clinical trials that have done w really well with brand new medications that have extended their life and continue to thrive just by being on clinical trials. So it's, it's integral. Yeah, absolutely. I think well, anybody should have to sell their house so their family gets that kind of treatment. It, it's it's a it's a tough story, and it's just one of many out there, no doubt. So, true. so uh, mm -hmm. the, the family, the Coombs family, is asking others to join them when they uh, appear at uh, the House of Assembly now coming up next month. It's almost next month already, would you believe? Sunday, Sunday is, is October the 1st. So um, I just wanted to share this with you now, Claudette. I have become one of those people. <laughs> oh, what type of person are you, Linda? I, <laughs> what type? I have started, yes, <laughs> what? me, and you have to know me to okay. understand Which I'm getting how to learn. groundbreaking this is. Ooh. But I have started to decorate for fall. Yes, I am so proud of you, Linda. <laughs> Sounds like you were a little bit, re you're reluctantly decorating for fall, are you? You know, it never, I was just like, what? what's the what point? Is this, <laughs> what is this trend? Uh, the tablescapes that you can see on social media too. Tablescapes, oh my goodness. No, I'm not that far. Okay, you got a pumpkin up? I've got a couple of little stuffed pumpkin-y, fluff, yes. fluffy. I don't have mine up yet. 
And I got some Ooh, leaves. Leavy. Ooh, leafy. do you have a wreath? I have a wreath. It's been, I have to be honest. <laughs> oh, I it's just been love sitting this about you. by the door oh, for the last number of days. Uh-huh. So I have close. not found anything to put it up. I was hoping that my husband would notice and Get say, You want me to put that up for you? Uh, <laughs> you need a wreath hanger, like one of those yeah. metal things. And you know what? I have one, but, but it's somewhere with down with the Christmas stuff, stuff yeah. and I ain't going, going there. through that. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm just so happy that you've, you know, you've come leaps and bounds, apparently. So well, this is completely against your personality. Yes, eh? I have become <laughs> one of those those people, and I say that affectionately. Uh, do you decorate for the fall? I do, but it's always late. It's like a day before Halloween. Oh, well, that's and then i got to take it down. I was always a yeah. person who put up a few things on Halloween Day, just to let yep. the kids know that, yeah, we're in business. Yeah, hey, There's some candy here. here. Uh, but now I'm like... You're inspiring me. I'm going home and putting up my pumpkin tonight. <laughs> I'm blaming dollar stores for this <laughs> yes. phenomenon. I'm blaming they're, them they're completely. They're in your face. Yeah. But uh, I was like, in August, I was like, I got to get this because it's not going to be here. And, <laughs> and that's so true. <laughs> if you find something you like at the dollar store, you better pick it up. You better get it now. Because <laughs> people post. It's a thing now. If they find Is something it? great on the, on the dollar store. They'll post it, and then everybody goes, and they then they buy it, right? They're dollar store influencers, so. Oh well, I'm that glad. explains a whole lot. Yeah, like we got to carry on this conversation <laughs> on Tuesday. We're not going to be on on Monday uh, because it is the day of truth and reconciliation. That the the formal holiday, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, for want of a better word, it's not a holiday, but you know what I'm saying. So the day it all businesses are getting a break i guess most businesses are getting a break so that's the day that we're going to be marking here mm-hmm. we're going to have a day of listening tomorrow on vocm so that's going to change our programming somewhat but it's really compelling listening so i encourage anyone to have a listen and to learn uh and on monday uh we'll be taking a bit of a break but uh, we'll be back on tuesday so do join us then have a great weekend everyone stay safe